This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network. When we think of saints and holy people, I think many of us first conjure up images of people in their mature or later years, whose wonders include decades of deeds and miraculous events spanning a lifetime of service in the army of God. But when we carefully explore those who served in that army with distinction, we find it filled with warriors of every age, and the youth ah, the young, are very well represented, and they are the models for the young of our age. And while many of today's youth seem to focus on rock stars, sports figures, and other celebrities, maybe it might be time to redirect their attention to those who, well, those other young people who made the world a better place to live, as well as living lives that were true examples of what is good and what is lasting. Maybe too many of us are members of the now generation, this very moment and this very time. But let's look at it this way. A hundred years from now, who will remember the winner of American Idol? But who could ever forget St. Bernadette, Joan of Arc, the three children of Fatima, Maria Goretti, and, well, the list goes on and on. Today, I'd like to tell you the story of another young girl who was born a little more than a hundred years ago, and in her short life on this planet Earth, taught us great lessons in humility, kindness, and dedication, even when things didn't go her way, and she, like many of us, was faced with what may appear to have been hopeless situations. But she didn't just give lip service, but is an example of how to live. Jane Germain Castang was born on the 23rd of May, way back in 1878, in the small village of Nochals in France, where she was the fifth of eleven children. Her father often called her Little Maine or just Germain. Her parents were hard-working, but her father would jump from one job to another, or one interest to another, often without finishing what he started. But in spite of it all, her parents were kind, caring, and good examples for their children, always faithful to their religion. Soon after Germaine's birth, her father built a new little house in the village of about 250 people, where the main floor would be like a small grocery store to help support the family. Germaine's mother was so kind that the villagers often considered her as a holy person. But perhaps the best example Germaine was to see, even in her earliest years, was the great charity her mother exhibited, even though their funds were exceedingly limited. Their small house was to be a haven for people in distress. As an example, once on a cold, drizzly day, a mother and infant appeared at the door, hungry and ill-clothed. Germaine's mother immediately brought them in and fed them and supplied the mother with one of her own best dresses, as well as clothing for the baby, even though their own family resources were stretched to the breaking point. Funny how children learn by example. Well, little Germaine was taught by example. She saw by example what was good and what was right. 
By the age of four, Germaine was such a strikingly pretty child that upon seeing her, people would usually comment about her beauty. But she could also be mischievous and strong-minded. She loved accompanying her mother to church, where, even so young, she became attracted to the concept of speaking to God through prayer. While prayer and God were important to the four-year-old, she was always ready for a new adventure and anxious to explore the wonders of the world, which would start her on her journey of love through suffering at even such a young age. She would experience trials firsthand while so young. While one day on her way home from play or whatever, Germaine and a group of children came upon a cold and icy stream that begged to be explored. And so the children waded and splashed about in the frigid waters before being chased away by passers-by. But this was to have a devastating effect on Germaine. Arriving home, she had difficulty staying awake, and at school the next day, she could still hardly stay awake and complained that her legs hurt, and soon her left leg became paralyzed with her foot deformed. Well, the doctors of the day found no cure for this. And as time passed, Germaine was a familiar sight, limping badly as she moved about the village. And to make matters worse, an open wound soon appeared on the crippled leg, and that would just add to her pain. Her attitude was to change, too. She was not depressed or bitter, but became more serious and also more patient with everything around her. Her main focus seemed to be her family and God, and loved hobbling around to gather flowers which she would place before the statue of the Madonna in church. This was a time also when her father's constantly changing interests would lead the family into financial ruin and poverty. By the time little Germaine was ten, her kindness and charity for one so young caused many of the townspeople to refer to her as the little saint. Of course, she ignored that reference completely. For one so young and cheerful, she was admired for her constant good humor amid all the pain and suffering she not only endured but accepted without complaint. And as time passed, she loved school and reveled in learning to respect the will of God, and she was also attracted with great devotion to the sisters who were her teachers and, and became great examples for her. And the sisters, well, they loved having her with them. Watching them as only a child can do, she began to wish that she too could have the opportunity of living that kind of life. Her older sister was to become a nun, and her young heart was filled with a happy envy, but she had to be satisfied with her life as it was, for now. But she could only serve. When a neighbor became ill and troubled, she would visit her every day, help her in any way possible, but more importantly, she would cheer her up and make her feel better. Germaine was becoming an expert at helping others, and this often meant that there was little time or perhaps even no time for play, but that was unimportant to her, even at such a young age, just nearing her teens. 
Her father's poor handling of finances and constant change of interest caused the family more financial disaster. His good humor faded, and he was constantly angry, and her brothers rebelled against him, and and with many tears, Germaine's mother tried to keep the family together as the young girl learned the meaning of suffering. Then creditors claimed their home and furniture. They were barely left with anything. They hardly had enough to eat, and the father built a kind of a shack to house the family in terrible living conditions, some distance from where they had lived before, and this meant first communion had to be postponed. Well, Germaine at ten was heartbroken, but her main concern was to lessen the sorrow of the family. Their new home had just bare ground for a floor, not even a chair, but only stumps on which to sit. But you can only imagine how they suffered when winter approached. Can you imagine, in today's world, how this would affect a young person? Well, to Germaine, her main task at hand was to help the family be as happy as possible in the horrible circumstances at hand. This was in addition to her own physical problems, which has since been diagnosed as a type of polio. Her condition worsened, and her leg became more crippled, with her foot now turned under, causing great pain with every step she would take. While her disability was obvious, she took great care to hide the pain she was suffering because she didn't want to add to the distress of her already troubled family. Instead, she added gaiety and cheer wherever she went and with whomever she happened to be with. And as time passed and the months, well, the months blended into years, Germaine's family's condition worsened, along with the health of many of her brothers and sisters. To ease their burdens, Germaine would often deprive herself of little pleasures, as well as much of the food, so the others would not suffer. And to help them, she would make the rounds painfully limping as she went to beg for food to help her family. Finally, her father found a job, and the family was able to move into an improved house in the spring of 1890. Germaine was now close to reaching the ripe old age of just 13 years. In the winter of 1891, Germaine was treated at the local hospital for a dog bite, and the doctors operated on her damaged foot, which provided some relief. She was so grateful that she asked for permission to visit and help other children who were patients in the hospital, and she was now a frequent visitor to the children with whom she would bring cheer, laughter, and and most importantly, tell them about the glory of God as she would teach them how to pray. She was once again very happy with her life, but again it was not to last for long. Then one of her little brothers died. Other siblings were hospitalized. A brother became mentally disturbed, and the family again was in disarray with many problems. Germaine tried to help, but her mother worried about the child's future and the possibility of Germaine not being able to continue her studies. So she arranged for her to attend what was known as 
the refuge of Nazareth, which focused on the care and housing of poor or homeless girls, and she was assigned to work instead of studying and continuing her education, and while she was bitterly disappointed at not being able to continue her studies, she didn't complain because she was able at least to continue studying her catechism. As with many children, she was often blamed for the actions of someone else, but she always accepted the discipline rather than get the real culprits in trouble, and she was always the first to volunteer when extra help or duties were required. As Germaine approached her 15th birthday, her joy was increasing with unbounded joy and an anticipation of making her first Holy Communion. As the girls were preparing for the great day, the sisters were concerned about the continued limping and felt that it would be better to have her leg examined by a specialist. And always obedient, Germaine pleaded with the sisters not to interrupt her preparation and retreat before her first communion. But they explained that it was their duty to do what was necessary for her, and it was her duty to do as she was told, whereupon she immediately stood up and obeyed without further question. Not long after her first communion, at the age of 14, Germaine was confirmed at the cathedral in Bordeaux, and she told the priest that she had a great desire to become a nun, but the priest told her that she would have to wait until she was 21. Ever resourceful, Germaine spoke to the mother superior about her desire to enter the convent as soon as possible. Well, the superior gave her an application, which the sister forwarded to her superior, but Germaine was refused due to her poor health. Her chance to become a nun appeared less and less a possibility. The following year, Germaine's father was offered a better job, and the family was moving away. She would be alone, but that was only the beginning. Later that year, she received the sad news that her mother had died. After a difficult and lengthy trip home, Germaine arrived only in time to attend the funeral that had just started in the neighboring church. And to make matters worse, when she reached the new family home, she found her brother Louis critically ill and not expected to live. What was she to do? Well, she was expected back at the convent, but she desperately wanted to return, and she saw how badly she was needed at home, so she stayed to care for Louis as well as her father. But she had no room of her own in this house, so she made do. Naturally, at her own expense, with just a blanket, she slept on the floor. She was still just 14 years old. And then her father decided he was unable to handle the family with all the bills and problems, so the sons went their own way, and Germaine would bring her two sisters to the Nazareth Refuge home where she had lived, and the superior agreed that the sisters could stay, so her father was relieved of the family responsibilities and departed for parts unknown. But when Germaine was back at the refuge, the mother's superior noticed that 
Germaine's limp was much worse and insisted that she be examined over the young girl's protest that it wasn't that bad. The sister examined her leg and was stunned at what she saw. There was a large open wound on the ankle that was oozing blood. When Germaine was questioned as to why she didn't have it examined, she shrugged off the question by saying she was just too busy and didn't think about it. Fourteen years old. Her life was to be much the same over the next three years at the Nazareth Refuge for young girls, and she was constantly worried about her father and would write him frequently trying to cheer him up and encourage him. Those letters survive to this very day and are kept in the archives in France. And during these years, she still clung to her desire to become a religious. It had once seemed so close, but now it appeared so distant. With the refusals of three or so years past still fresh in her mind, she felt she had little chance to realize her dream. After all, what convent wants a handicapped novice? Then she had a thought of, if God really is calling me to be a religious, why doesn't he cure my leg? I imagine in her mind she answered the question herself. He never cured me because I never asked him. That seemed logical to her, and if that were the case, then I will pray for a cure, she must have thought. She even was able to go on a pilgrimage to Lourdes where she prayed for a miracle. But for some reason there was no answer and she returned to the refuge and life as it had been. God had his own plans for her. Even with her bad legs she would go on walks with some of the girls and just a short distance from the refuge there was a monastery of poor clares and she persuaded a friendly priest to accompany her there where she sought permission to enter but was turned away as too young. The priest reasoned with her that her disability needed attention, and after all, this was a convent and not a hospital, and besides, the order was so vigorous that with her delicate health, she would find it hard to maintain their difficult schedule and lifestyle. Well, her life was to become even more complicated. Her brothers were ill, At first she didn't know whether her father was since her letters were being returned unopened, but her prayers continued, Dear God, let me become a nun. But later her father had returned to his original town, a bitter and disillusioned man, angry at the world and blaming the world for all his failures and problems and even refused to have anything to do with one of his sons the other surviving son having joined the army. Well, Germain could not stand to see the anguish this was causing and managed to return to see her father where she successfully succeeded in a reconciliation between father and son, which at one time had seemed utterly impossible. Her father now wanted her to remain with him, but she returned to the refuge, and during the Easter season of 1896, as she was approaching 18, she went on a pilgrimage with a friend to the poor Clare's Monastery of Talence, and when she met the Mother Superior, she explained her long-time dream of becoming a poor Clare. 
She told of her previous refusals to enter the convent, and, and later she met with several other sisters. And finally, a smiling mother superior told her, I will accept you. The only hitch was approval from her father, and again she would encounter another problem. Naturally, he refused because he wanted her to take care of him and insisted she come home and stay with him for at least a while. But her prayers were being heard, and finally he reluctantly gave his consent, and so on the 12th of June in 1896, on the Feast of the Sacred Heart, at the age of 18, Germain took the habit as a postulant of the poor Clares. From the very beginning, Germain won the admiration and respect of the sisters as, as well as that of the other postulants. Within the first few months, the admiration of the young girl named Germain grew and grew within the community of poor Clares. At long last, she was enveloped in pure happiness. And on November 21st, the big day arrived. After her three-day preparation retreat, it was the Feast of the Presentation. Her hair was to be cut, and she was to be clothed in the rough habit, cord, and white veil and mantle of a poor Clara novice. She was now just barely 19 years old, and in those few years she had endured more heartaches and difficulties than most people endure in a lifetime, and all of this without complaint. During the ceremony, she was told, in the world you were called Mademoiselle Germaine Castaing. In religion, you will now be called Sister Marie Celine of the Presentation. One can only imagine the radiant happiness she was experiencing at that moment. But in the next moment, she felt faint and turned whitely pale, shrugging it off as fatigue and excitement. But it was more serious than that. She continued her responsibilities with joy and enthusiasm. Her dream was being realized, and she completely disregarded any lack of energy or health concerns. She was radiantly happy, preparing to spend her life serving her loving spouse in heaven. At long last, her lifelong dream was within reach. Summer blended into fall, and winter followed. A superior entered Sister Marie's cell and found her unusually pale, gasping, Mother, I am suffering so much, I cannot go on. Well, a doctor was contacted, and upon examination, the results were tuberculosis in its most brutal form. After his examination, the doctor explained that while she had suffered this disease for years, her life expectancy was now only a few months at the longest. The disease moved quickly, draining every bit of energy from Sister Marie Celine. For several weeks, she was permitted to participate in a few of, of the nuns' responsibilities until the morning she was unable to get up. Through all of her torture, she feared not death, but that she would be sent home. 
but she was reassured that the mother superior wanted her to remain in the convent where she wished to stay, but was to be moved to a more comfortable room. Not long after, the cardinal visited her and gave his permission for her religious profession now as a poor Clare, because of her deteriorating condition. Sister Celine's body was racked with fever and her suffering mounted, and as the end approached, something strange took place. In the monastery of the Ave Maria, where the dying sister Marie Celine rested, a strange aroma of sweetness permeated the entire monastery. On the 20th of May, Sister Celine begged forgiveness from all the sisters for the trouble she was causing. Around nine o'clock in the evening, prayers for the dying had begun. Later, she told the sisters it was very difficult to leave them, and she kissed her crucifix. And then on Sunday morning, May 30th, at 3 a.m., she was called home to spend all eternity in heaven. She was just 19 years old. The sisters would later say that they felt more like praying to her than for her. They would recount that they all experienced an impression of heavenly glory emanating from her serene countenance. And then the favor started. Huge numbers of answers to prayers for her intercession continued. Her simple grave became a pilgrimage point. And the wonders continued. Time only permits mentioning just a few. For example, in 1925, a woman in Cleveland told of her 13-year-old daughter who had been suffering from tuberculosis for five years, uneven, unable to, to even walk, and the doctor saying that there was absolutely no hope. The mother sought the intercession of Sister Marie Celine, and her daughter was cured and the girl announced her desire to become a nun. And then there was the father with a growth under his chin that the doctors claim was inoperable and that eventually it would cut off his air passage and he would die. That was in 1909. So the family started at Novena in honor of Sister Marie Celine. And yes, the growth mysteriously vanished. And there were more, many more, and on January 27, 1957, after a long and detailed investigation into her life and, and that of the reported miracles from her intercession that continued, on January 22, 1957, Pope Pius XII solemnly declared her to be a servant of God with the title Venerable Marie of the Presentation. And in December of 2006, Pope Benedict XVI authorized the promulgation of a decree concerning another miracle attributed to her intercession. Blessed Marie Celine of the Presentation, who lived among us for only 19 years, once wrote, I am determined to be a violet of humility, a rose of charity, and a lily of purity for Jesus. And she lives on as a model for all those who are ill or suffer from physical handicaps, poverty, or marginalization. And she is available to each of us. 
In her own quiet and simple way, she proved that to become a saint, one does not have to move mountains, but only climb them with steps of humility, devotion, and prayer. This is Tom Shrewsbury with Reflections for the Covenant Network.